All right, I'm glad to be here, um, glad to see you all. I want to just thank you again, church. Last week was Pentecost, and that was the season that, uh, or the day rather, that marks the time when the Holy Spirit, who was always present, became resident and filled and empowered and united the church. And it's a time that we look back on and realize that our faith is a global faith. And one of the ways we did that this year was in the six weeks between Easter and Pentecost, we were raising money for the Kiesler home for those 56 beautiful kiddos that were a very, very long way away from us physically, but I hope very near to us in our hearts. And the reason why I say that is because out of your hearts, out of your abundance, we are sending $8,441.48 to Bungoma, Kenya. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for those who gave. Every dollar and every cent goes to Kenya, period. I mean that. And so we're just so grateful that that's going to help educate for medicines, for the administrative costs, um, and for this staff there that love those kids presently in ways that we can't until we all hop on a plane and go to Kenya. Who's going to Kenya with me and Robin? Yes. Well, we hope we are all going because we just found a court date. I want you to make a note of June 6th. June 6th. We were thinking it was going to be like two weeks ago or last week, and then they moved it, which was a big drag because you're sitting there saying, man, every time they have moved this thing, it's been like six months or a year. There's a dispute with the land on which the orphanage sits, and the people who want that land don't necessarily want those orphans. So this is a very tough and difficult thing to fight thousands of miles away. So because we're thousands of miles away, God, who is not thousands of miles away from us or these kids, are going. we're going to pray to him and ask for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So uh, we just, Robin just heard a court date. So June 6th, mark it down, and uh, let's be diligent in praying. I hope you got a picture of one of those kiddos last week, and you've been continuing to pray for those kiddos uh, in the last week or so. Yeah? But again, thank you, church. That is good work. We are such a generous church, and I'm so grateful to be a part of this community. I uh, want to tell you a couple things coming in the next few weeks. Um, tonight, I'm not preaching so much as I'll do a little teaching, and then we're going to hear from some prospective deacons, some deacon candidates. We are going to have seven that we're going to present to you in the next few weeks, and we're going to hear a bit from them this evening, and then we're going to hear a bit from three more in two weeks, okay? So not next week. Next week, we're going to get together for kind of a reflection, uh, prayer, and worship service. I love doing those services. We haven't done one of those in a long time. Seems good to kind of catch our breath and enter into kind of this more experiential type of service. It's Memorial Day weekend, so if you're not on a lake, come here and let us pray together and have a good evening of worship. That's next week. So deacons tonight, not next week, but the week after that, June 4. Okay, We'll have a few more candidates come forward, and we'll do a little bit more deacon talk then. All right. Hey, let's pray, and then we'll talk for a couple minutes about deacons, and then we're going to hear from some prospective deacons for Providence Community Church. Sound good? All right, I would just invite you to, where you're sitting, just kind of take a deep breath. You've been running around all day uh, doing this, that, and the other. Maybe for the first time today, just invite you 
to um, consider that God has been waiting to meet with you. Isaiah, thousands of years ago, got a glimpse of God and considered when he said, the Lord is longing to be gracious to you. No matter how far you think you've strayed, no matter how unworthy you think you are, I promise you, you are loved infinitely more than you could ever imagine. And I promise you that he is closer to you than you could ever even dare to dream. So we invite you in this moment, after a long crazy day running around, just consider that perhaps he's been waiting to meet with you even for these moments. And so just take a breath, close your eyes, and quietly, silently in your heart, would you just say thank you and just fill in the blank and consider how he has loved you and longed to be with you. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for all the things we take for granted. Lord Jesus, thank you that in you we live and move and have our being. So now, Lord, we also come to you with a lot of cares and worries and concerns. So, Lord, would you give us your strength and your grace and your courage to surrender those as I invite you, church, to pray, Lord, would you? Lord, would you give us what we need when we need it? Would you be for us strength and peace and grace? And would you inhabit the praise of your people this evening? Even as we talk kind of more shop, would we still know that you are in us and among us and working through us? Not just in Kenya, but here in our own homes and neighborhoods. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen. Well, as Toby said earlier in the announcements, summer is upon us. And for summer, that means yard work for me. Um, and uh, I'd like to say that it's every week, but it's kind of whenever I just drag my bottom up and go and do it. But uh, I'm not looking forward to it, and it's not because the doing it is the problem. For me, summer equals yard work equals a weekly, or let's be more honest, my wife reminded me, bi-weekly battle with my extension cord. I am an electric weed eater edger dude, and I have a big, long 50-foot extension cord, and no matter how perfectly I wrap this dumb thing, when I put it in my garage, I'm convinced that some yard trolls come and they jack that thing up while it sits in the garage for a week or two. And then when I get back, I spend more time fighting with that extension cord than I do actually using it and working, okay? I have more time battling and untangling than actually working. Now, 
This is a problem that is not unique to extension cords or if you'd like a garden hose, when you get that thing just perfectly right and then you turn it on and nothing happens, then you see the kink and then you turn into like a Three Stooges, you know, routine where you open it up and it splashes in your face and it's ridiculous and your neighbors are laughing at you from inside their house. Pick garden hose, pick extension cords, but the, I, the experience of stuff getting tangled up and knotted up is not unique to those things. It's also common in relationships. Things get knotted, things get tangled, and some expectations or mutterings, things happen and they need to be straightened out. It's not just unique to relationships, it's also a part of Christian relationships or relationships within the church. This certainly happened in the first church. So we're going to look tonight briefly at one of these things that was a tangling of the very first church. Maybe the first time they had a tangle in their extension cord or their garden hose. And we're going to be looking in Acts chapter 6 for the next 10 or so minutes, uh, verses 1 to 7. I'm going to read that. There's a Bible in front of you if you want to grab it. If not, that's cool. If you want it on your phone, you can do it. It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to read it for us now. You with me? Acts chapter 6. Let's see this tangling that was happening relationally among the very first church. And what on earth might it have to do with deacons? Verse 1 of chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained or grumbled or muttered, you know, like all those old church people do. They were complaining against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to serve food or wait on tables. So, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you, who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. I know everyone is thinking of the Lion King right now that is born in the 90s or 80s. Timon, right? Let's just leave it there. And he was a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on these people. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Where's the tangling? What was the problem? It was way back in verse 1. Do you see this? What were they complaining about? What were they muttering? Let's look at verse 1. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. So first, we have to understand that when Pentecost happened, what I mentioned earlier, the Holy Spirit comes, it fills the people, and it creates a new family of God. And this is powerful, because in Acts chapter 2, we see that this family is a diverse family. It's no longer just Israel, where you had to have these rules and obey this covenant and be born from this line. All of a sudden, 
Jesus kicked the doors open and from all nations, all peoples, all tongues, they're invited in to the renewed people and family of God. But this happened at an alarming rate. It's as if the church was pregnant and they were going along thinking they had one kid. Oh wait, you've got 5,000 kids. This is a big problem. So what happens then is they have all these thousands of people. And what happens is some of these people are widows. Do you all see widows in the first verse? The tangling is around what's happening with these widows. What's happening with the widows? Well, in that day, they didn't have retirement homes that they could just send old widow out to. What they had were homes where the immediate family would take the widow in and they would care for them, they would feed them, and they would take care of them because in that day they couldn't go be a greeter at Walmart. Forgive me if that offends some people. But I'm saying they couldn't go out and work because they couldn't go work a field. If they were a woman, they couldn't do any business legitimately unless they knew a guy who knew a guy. So these widows had to be taken care of by the family. Now, if that widow came to faith in Jesus and they were, what, a Hellenistic Jew from the Greek or pagan background, they say, the family may say, oh, you're with Jesus now? Nope, sorry, no can do. And they may send them out of the house because of their newfound faith in Jesus. So, if they're a Hebraic Jew, we saw that in verse 1. Is it up there? Hellenistic and Hebraic? Well, you're supposed to follow Yahweh. And yeah, we're waiting for Messiah. We don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. So if you believe in Jesus as Lord, sorry, you're on your own, sister. And they send the widow out of the house. So now... God's renewed family says, okay, we believe that what God has done here in inviting all nations and tribes and tongues and filling all these different sorts of people, women and men and all the kinds of wrong people, we believe that this is God's family. So if you're not going to be taken care of by your immediate family, you are welcome into the church and we become your family and we care for you. This was the real key ingredient to the first church. How many of you have read the book of Acts and you remember in Acts chapter 2, which has been so foundational for this church, you read that they were meeting uh, together regularly in each other's homes. They were breaking bread. They were devoted to fellowship and prayer. And they were laughing and they were enjoying favor with each other, with the whole people. And they were giving and sharing even their money and possessions. Because when your family, that's what you do, right? I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and every time they're begging me for a snack, which is all day, every day, I don't say, what you got in your piggy bank, girl? Because we're family. When she's 16 or 17, I don't know, maybe I'll be raiding that piggy bank. But right now, we're family. And yes, you can have some apples or whatever they want. They really want the bad stuff, but that's for their mom and I. So this is a problem because what's going on is when these people are getting their needs taken care of, do you see? One group says, hey, wait a minute. Our 
widows, the Greek widows, are not being taken care of like the Jewish widows. Are you with me? This is the tangling. So what are we going to do about it? That's an administrative problem. It's a people problem. This hose has been tangled up. There's a kink in it. And the spirit who has been surging through the first church in power and presence and ministry and witness is somehow getting blocked up because of red tape and bureaucracy because, frankly, Some people are mad that they're not getting the food that they thought they deserved. So what are they going to do about it? Well, the solution is this. Empower servant leaders to watch minister and then free up ministry. This is what we're going to see. So what do they do? The 12, right? The 12 who were Jesus' disciples, they were the apostles. Now Judas bailed, right? We all know this. Even if you've only seen Jesus Christ Superstar, you know that Judas didn't hang on, okay? He kind of ditched the whole thing, you know? That was a bad deal. So there was 11, but then they brought another one in at the beginning of the book of Acts. So now there was 12 again. They were the leaders and apostles in the church. They get together, and then they say, okay, okay, okay. We need somebody to untangle and free up this ministry. We need people to serve and minister to these who are marginalized in our society and even marginalized in our church. So tonight we're going to look at who are these people? Why were they chosen? What kind of people were they? What did they do? And then how did it affect the first church? And then the fifth question we'll answer briefly is now what about our church, Providence Community? Now they were chosen, the first question, because they were trying to unkink and untangle and meet a physical need among these widows. This is crucial when we're talking about this ministry or this office in Acts chapter 6 that is coming to be known as deacons. So look what happens in verse 2. When those 12 gather and they say, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now stick with me here. These apostles have been called to watch, minister with their words, okay? The apostles mean sent ones, witnesses. They are bearing witness that Jesus is alive, that he's the reigning Lord of heaven and earth, and all peoples, no matter what your background or creed or race or anything, all people are invited in to his kingdom. They were ministering with their words, okay? So when this comes up, when they're worried about this physical need of meeting the poorest of the poor and the marginalized, they say, look, we're called to minister with our words. Watch, we need someone who can minister with their hands. So they gather these people up and they say, look, it would be wrong for us to neglect our distinct calling in lieu of doing this good and meaningful administrative ministry type of work. Okay? Do you see where they say that in verse 2? Let me tell you this. These callings are distinct. Hear me on this. It is not a hierarchy. Okay? So in our context, I don't want you to think pastors are up here, they get top billing, and deacons are right here, and they get second billing. These servants are still distinct, but they are also still two roles that God has given the church in order to let that ministry get unkinked and so the spirit can flow freely through these people and out into the neighborhoods. So what he's saying here is, look, we're called to minister with our words. These people are called to minister with their hands. And here's the thing why I can say it's not a hierarchy. 
Jesus, who is the Lord of all the universe, bent down, put a towel around his waist, and washed the feet of those who were following him. Even his enemy, Judas, that evening. And so whether you're a pastor, a deacon, or whether you are you, you are called to serve. And if serving is beneath you, then leadership in the way of Jesus is above you. Let me say this again. If serving is beneath you, then the way of Jesus, not just leadership, is above you. Because Jesus himself said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so if the thought that you could humble yourself and care for the poor, whether they're homeless on the streets of downtown like we're doing every month, or whether they're the orphans in Kenya like we've been partnering and praying with, if they are anyone, if it is too icky for you to serve the least of these, you are missing out on where Jesus is. Because he was routinely meeting with the most marginalized and most outcast and most put away people. And he who had every reason to hold on to some kind of hierarchy or big wig picture, he surrendered it all so he could go and touch the leper, go reaffirm the woman, go reaffirm the prostitute, the sinner, the thief, the you name it. He was always looking for them and he was coming underneath them and saying, God has life for you and it's available to you when everyone said it's not. So I want to just be really clear that the primary thing, pastor or deacon, is serving because it's a primary thing in the life of our Lord. So this is why they were chosen to serve with their hands. So look at verse three. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. What kind of people are they? Do y'all see that? Full of the spirit and wisdom. Basically, these are godly people who are responsible. Look what he says. They're full of the spirit and, will, and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. They are godly people who get stuff done. This is what deacons are. But it's not just about what they do. It's not just that they're doers. It's who they are. In two weeks, we're going to look at 1 Timothy, which was written decades after this initial tangled up mess, caring for these widows, it was written decades later, and it gave a characteristic kind of rundown as to these types of people who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. The type of people who people, when they say, hey, this could be a deacon, they're not going, what, really? They're saying, oh, yeah, totally. Because what does he say? They were known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. It's not just that they can get things done to minister and free up ministry. It's who they are. People know their actions, know their characters. They are servant leaders who minister and free up ministry, which is what happens in verse 4. You with me? And we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. In other words, deacons are involved in churches to care for physical needs, administrative needs, in order that the elders who have a di different call to minister with their words can give more of their time to praying for, shepherding, preaching, teaching. Okay, Bud and I spend a whole lot of our week praying and 
and preparing to me preaching and Bud teaching when he's meeting with people every single week. He's meeting with men on a weekly basis. He's meeting with many of you on regular bases. And so what we're doing is preaching, teaching, praying. We also spend a whole lot of our time, because our church is little, doing a lot of administrative stuff. We're booking stuff for retreats. We're doing budget. We're managing benevolence. We're doing all this stuff. Now, we can do it because by God's grace, I'm full-time. This dude is donating his time. He is a super bargain. We pay him zero dollars a year in salary, ladies and gentlemen, plus no benefits. It's fantastic. But he donates his whole time. But we thought, you know, in our context, where are those places, those godly people who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom and who get things done? And if we just empower them because they've been living this way for a decade or more, if we just empower them, perhaps they can free up so much in our church and so much more can get done and so much can get done in a better and more meaningful way precisely because it's not just Bud and I. Because what we need is their gifts. What we need is their hearts. What we need is their imaginations. What we need is the whole body of Christ, pastors, deacons, or otherwise, to see who they are in Christ and then say, God, what have you called me to do? And then to go out and do it. And for deacons and pastors, it's to untangle that mess so the spirit in that extension cord or that hose can move freely and the church can go and do what we're called to do, which is gospel ministry. So look, in verse 5, they pull these seven folks up. In a couple weeks, in this case, it was just men. But in a couple weeks, we'll talk about how, um, the, how it's, it can be women as well. And so they put, them, they put them forward, they went through this process, and then look at the end of uh, verse 6. They presented these people to the apostles, and the apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. They were ordained, is what they were. An ordination is when you come forward and you put your hands on someone, you set them apart and say, this person we recognize a calling on their life. They've been set apart, and then they're sent out. Set apart and sent out. This is ordination. So what we're going to do in our church for these seven people that we're bringing forward is this evening and in two weeks, we're going to present these people to you just like they did in verse 5, okay? Hey, here's some seven people that we've seen are good, genuine, servant-leading types. We present them, and then this summer, we're going to have a time of present of preparation where we're saying, okay, let's sort out what it might look like in our context, in our little church, things that need to get done, and just ways in which we can empower you and unleash you to go and do. That's a preparation phase. And then at the end of August, the end of summer, or early September, we are going to ordain them. So there's a presentation the next few weeks. There's a preparation through the summer. You with me? And then there's an ordination at the end of summer to get them out and moving in ways that they've already been doing, but we're going to set them apart and send them out in a more official capacity. So how did this affect that church? How might we hope it affects our church? Verse 7, well, the word of God spread. When we are not bunched up in bureaucracy, red tape, administration, which I need to tell you, thank God our church is not, we put people before programs and it keeps us busy enough, not just pastors and deacons. I'm talking about us, the whole church, 
because we're living life and ministering to one another as a family, we don't have a lot of that administrative issue. But what we see is this vision that Paul talks about in Ephesians when the elders and apostles, deacons, preachers, all these people who are gifted to lead the church, the best way they lead is when they empower everybody else to do what God's called them to do. This is not, the mission of God is not for professional Christians. It's for you to choose to do what Jesus would do if he were in your shoes. And you know where I'm not? Your shoes. You know where these deacons are? Your shoes. I'm not helping raise your kids if you're a stay-at-home parent. I am not working your retail job. I'm not working your business job, white-collar job, blue-collar job. I'm not in your social networks with your people, and you're not in mine. So we need everyone on board saying, God, who have you called me to be? And God, what have you called me to do? And so we think that it seems good to Bud and I in this season to bring up these seven and then empower them to be who they are and do what we feel like they've been called to do. So not only did the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of even priests became obedient to the faith because these people probably had in their networks these God-fearing, righteous Jewish priests and now even they're coming into the way of Jesus and it's incredible. So, We'll talk more about this in a couple weeks as to the characteristics listed in 1 Timothy. And we're going to talk more about perhaps what their function will look like. But we're kind of making the road by walking. Y'all see this sheet here? This is like a job description that we've written, but Pastor Bud and I, in the last year, for every kind of role or leadership position that we have currently in our church, from media to youth to worship to missional community leader to elder, because if Bud and I get hit by a beer truck tomorrow walking out onto Garland Road, we want to make sure that our church is in a position where it can carry on, right? Because it should carry on without Bud and I. Amen? Yes? Because it's not our church. And so what we have is the deacon one. And so the position purpose is a man or woman called and equipped by God to be a servant of the Lord in and to the church, whose gifts and callings are recognized by the elders and affirmed by the congregation through his or her selection, testing, and ordination. That's that whole presentation, preparation, and ordination. And it says, whereas a missional community leader organizes and cares for a small group, a deacon serves and ministers to the whole church and beyond. So their essential functions is to basically be a good disciple, to faithfully serve the people of PCC with his or her presence, encouragement, and work, with particular attention to the physical needs of the sick, needy, and widows within our community. Then to be willing to perform any other ministry function not specifically related to the office of elder. And this is including but not limited to anything around this church or the rock or any kind of facilities. Benevolence to those in need. Maybe helping with finances. Coordinating volunteers in in-house ministries and programs. Administrating. And then missional outreach in our shared neighborhood. I've got high hopes for some kingdom experiments that our deacons can run wild with. 
And I call them kingdom experiments because if they blow up in our face like seventh grade chemistry, you say, hey, it was just an experiment. No big deal. But if they don't, it's something we say, well, let's tweak this and do this. But I want to see our deacons serving alongside and empowered and unleashed. And so, you know, we'll talk more about what that may look like. I've already talked longer than I wanted to because I want you to hear from four of them this evening. So I want to invite Steve Orend, Amy Kahn, Robin Craddock, and Robert Vaughn to come and sit on this front pew. I want to show you a list of our, our seven that we've got at this time, not to be all for all time, not to be only these, but for right now, it seems good to Bud and I and the Holy Spirit, these seven. So in two weeks, we'll have Sid Kiesler, Aaron Sarkis, and Toby Brooks come up and share a few words as well. So church, would you just uh, give a welcome, applause? Can we do this? That seems good to do. And I just want to ask them in a word or two just to share a little bit about, and I've already prepped them on this, so they shouldn't, if they say, well, Adam didn't ask me, they're lying to you, and maybe we need to look at their candidacy, this whole thing, right? Tell us a little bit about your, how you came to faith in Jesus, and then just tell us a little about this calling to service in this church, in this office. So, However that takes you, just for a few minutes, would you share with us who's going first? Here we go. Hi. Uh, you'll see why I'm not an elder or pastor in a second when I start talking, so just, just kidding. Uh, I'll start with how I became a Christian, um, which is kind of ironic, but uh, I actually walked the aisle in this church and became a Christian here uh, when I was in youth. And... Uh, I was invited to this church for, by my friend and started coming here. And if you, any of y'all ever knew me when I was a kid, I was a big, I wasn't going to say nerd, but then I thought nerds are smart, so I was a dork is what the word was. <laughs> so uh, I kind of had a hard time with uh, middle school and uh, early high school just because, you know, you're, you don't know who you are and, and you feel different than, you know, you feel like everybody else is or whatever. But I do remember um, coming here and, and, and having a youth group that I could be myself, I could be this goody-goody kid that I always felt like I wanted to be, and um, so when when that happened, I had this time where I, I was presented the gospel, and in eighth grade, I actually walked the aisle here and, and, you know, accepted Christ and said, you know, this is what I want to be, I want to be a Christian, and so for a long time, um, through a lot of legalism and a lot of goofy stuff, uh, me doing it by my own will a lot I uh, realized that uh, later on in life, probably about 10 years ago, was when I really feel like I, that's why I was baptized again about 10 years ago, because I realized that it meant for me to follow Christ, meant to deny myself and uh, die to myself. And so before then, I felt like I was more about the legalism and about doing good and stuff. And and it was then, about 10 years ago, that I you know, really felt like when I went under the water that I was in the grave for Robert Vaughn. And when I came out, I was, you know, Jesus's follower. So uh, that's where, where it kind of made it for me. And, and so that was, that's that. Um, and uh, serving this church, uh, I had of a, my dad is, he's a, he's a servant dude, man. He's really just a, a great leader and a great uh, uh, follower of Christ. And I'm getting all tears with this. Uh, he uh, really encouraged me from a, as a child just to follow Christ and to love people and to serve. And uh, it's always been kind of natural, I guess, 
because of his leadership for me to do the same. And so, uh, like, I enjoy serving you guys. I enjoy when you call me because your car's messed up or your house is messed up or, hey, just dude, just come help me carry this couch or something or, hey, can I borrow your truck or whatever because it's, it's, it's not a burden for me. It's, it's what I enjoy and it's what, you know, draws me and makes me feel like God is on my side, you know. So uh, that's where I feel. I feel like this church is, is where I am and I'll always be here and we, we just love this place and, and we will, uh, you know, we enjoy what we got, so. Um, I guess for me, I shared this in the video um, last month or month before when we did Ruth. Um, I grew up in church. Um, I've always been a people person, so I love church because it seemed like it fixed everybody's problems, but most of those people were acting like it did. And um, when I went to college, I fell in love with counseling. I was like, this answers all problems. Um, the Lord didn't have any power, had no really reality, I didn't think, in this world. It didn't explain why we fought each other, why I, I was depressed, or my friends were depressed, or why my family was so unhappy. Um, and I was getting my master's at um, UTA. Toby started coming to Providence, and I was like, I didn't come for a long time, because I would gotten used to my bed on the weekend. And I came, and we were, they were studying James, and... I never stopped coming after that point, um, learning about the fall and how we are relational because the Trinity is relational, and God was relational before he even made the earth, and it blew my mind, and for me, my life has never been the same, um, so that's my life-changing part. Um, serving, I've always been someone who likes to be in the background. Um, I can go along other people who are more out there. And I'll just be behind them and clean up or do whatever they want or things like that. And I've done that ever since I've joined. If you were here at the beginning of Providence, you had to. You had to put out your own chair. Then you had to pick up all the chairs. You had to work childcare for either the, one of the services. Um, so it's just how, I mean, it was natural for me, but it's just what I always did. I also was easy to hide behind Toby. <laughs> and so when she became a community group leader, I just was like, oh, I'll just do the little administrative stuff and I'll do these things. But um, in the last year, um, my friends and the elders here have really pushed me to come into my own and not hide behind my insecurities and let God continue to mold me. And so I was very humbled and very shocked. Um, and Adam came and was like, I know these are all the things that you're going to say because you don't want to do this. But, you know, God has really worked on my heart on being more visible and letting go of those insecurities and letting um, him mold me. So I'm super humbled and excited about this process of getting to learn more about what this role means. All right, my name's Steve. I, uh, I've been going here for quite some time. Um, I guess I, uh, I really came to Christ over a period of time that started with my mom praying for me. Uh, just the continual, endless prayers and and hey you need to you need to go this route you need to go this route and although I may have strayed from that route numerous times and endless amounts of times I guess you would say um that prayer it's it's the tool that we all have to to live in this world and we use that bible that that she gave me and 
she wrote in there, that's our tool, prayer in this Bible on this earth. So she, uh, she prayed and prayed, and I got out of the military, moved here to Texas, uh, not really by my choice. I was kind of forced to move to Texas here. Um, but uh, my neighbors behind me, they had gone to this church for uh, a month or two, and said, hey, we got a, we got a real cool church and and we had tried some different ones and I didn't really like any of the churches they all just I didn't connect with them at all really um it wasn't it wasn't what I thought church should be or or the people that I would just something wasn't 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 right so needless to say we we said okay we'll we'll come to church and so we came uh uh over Easter and we we fell in love with the people in this church, and I know we've got a lot of new faces here. It's it's pretty much totally changed, but I fell in love with all of you people. Um, each 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 time we we see each other, I know we don't live our lives daily with each other, but you know we we build bonds with one another, and the church is is uh, the people. So I kind of fell in love with that aspect of it. And you, you can't drag me away. So, <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of how I came. It, it wasn't really a, a an all of a sudden thing. It was a like a continual process that that's just brought me here to this day. Um, my, my mom's still praying for me today. So, <laughs> um, so when I think of a, a deacon or or someone that, to look up to in the church, I think of Robert. I think of Bud. I think of Adam. I think of Lou, Jared. Ryan, Aaron, I mean, all those guys that, that I've seen live in life, I mean, you guys all would drop anything to do or help anyone. So when Bud asked me, he said, hey, what do you think about doing this? I'm like, man, there's no way. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't fit the bill at all, I don't think. There's no way. I mean, you've seen Robert? Uh, so, I mean, it, it, was, it was quite a... Uh, 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 I kind of, I guess you would say a shock because I was, well, there's no way. But I started thinking about it over the months since he said something to me. It's, you know what? Every time I think that I can't do something or just everything's going wrong and, and I'm just out there in left field without a glove, the Lord brings me through it. So uh, just like everything else has brought me up to this day, the Lord's going to bring me through it. So he's the one that strength. He's my strength. He empowers me and, and is going to get me uh, through to, to helping you guys, to helping others, hopefully bringing new Christians into this church to become Christians. Um, my, my walk at, uh, in my everyday life at, at work, speaking with people, speaking with you guys, and, and the way you guys shape and mold me, I mean, Lord's at work every day, so that's, uh, that's where I'm at. So hopefully, hopefully I... I I uh, I serve you guys well. <laughs> Hello, I'm Robin. <laughs> um, somehow, somehow I managed to grow up in East Texas and attend church every Sunday with my parents, and somehow I managed to completely, in 18 years, miss the Jesus connection. That it was something more than just going to something 
you know, every Sunday. And I went just because that's what you do in small town East Texas. You go to church every Sunday. Um, when I left home, when I moved to the big city of Dallas, you know, I had no problem completely walking away from the church because it meant nothing. There was no tie there, and I decided my way was better anyway, right? So for 10-plus years, that's what I did. You know, I, I wasn't as bad as Saul, and I didn't, like, truly kill Christians, but I metaphorically began to throw lots of stones at the Christians I worked with and the, the churches that I saw around me, and I wanted nothing to do with them or their God, and I didn't need any of that either. Um, and then what I didn't know that even then, even when my back was to God, when my arm was out like this, like, uh-uh, those same Christians that I had been poking fun at and calling the church lady and, and all kinds of names, and those same folks were back out here over praying for me. And this is something I didn't know until so much later, that there was a group of these church people, these people that I despise, and they were praying that I would come to church. And not just that I would come to their church, but I would come to know Jesus. And I always thought that, you know, the story in Luke 5 where you got the, they got the friends, right, who have the paralyzed guy on this mat. And they know, they know that if they could just get him to the feet of Jesus, Jesus can do his thing, right? But the, the paralyzed guy couldn't get there. And that was me, the paralyzed guy on the mat. And these friends of mine knew if they could just get me there. And they were willing to go through the roof. I was, you know, I like to say I was dared into the kingdom because my friend finally says, stop it. Stop making fun of me unless you're coming to my church. And so I did. And, and just Jesus got a hold of me there. You know, it took 30 years or whatever. Um, but he got a hold of me. And this fire, I mean, this weird thing is like, hey, it's more than a building. It's more than a, a thing I have to go to. And I wanted this relationship. And he just kept pulling me closer and closer. And I wasn't fighting him anymore. And I wasn't putting the hand out anymore. I was taking baby steps, all right, taking baby steps towards him. But I just love how he has continued to pull me. And, you know, one of the very first things, I hadn't been at the church very long. I went up to one of the pastors and I said, okay, I, I, I'm enjoying this Jesus guy. He's rocking. And, and, and what do, we, what do I do now? I mean, where can I get involved? Is there like a homeless shelter? I mean, where do you, what do you guys do? I mean, you know, I didn't know what Christians did. I'm like, but I knew that I wanted to do something. Give back. Jesus has given me and given me. And man, I want to do something for him too, for his kingdom. Um, and so when they started talking about being an elder, you know, I, I was asking myself, okay, why would I want to do that? You know, praying through this, asking myself, why would I do it? If I'm, if I'm a deacon, it's not going to make me love Jesus anymore. Let me just tell you that. It's not going to do that. It is not going to be some big shot of gasoline on my passion, on the fire that I have for serving and for ministering. Being a deacon, it's not going to do that either. So why would I say yes? And I thought about something that Adam had said. And he was talking about ministry, and he was talking about um, when he was kind of coming on board as pastor here, you know, asking himself, you know, he knew he wanted to be in ministry, right? But he asked himself, do I want to be in ministry to and with these people? And when I framed it like that, I kept coming back to the same answer. Yeah, it excites me 
to be in ministry to and with you guys. That's where I want to be. Um, so that's why I can say yes to, yeah, I want to see what this looks like. Um, and it excites me to think about um, being on mission with you guys and walking beside you, walking with you, and uh, sometimes leaning on you guys too. Um, I think God has big things for this church, and it just I'm excited to, um, to be a part of what that looks like. Thanks. Well, all right. I'm so, I hope you all are encouraged. I'm so excited about this season, this process. This is a new start for our church that has had many new starts in the last few years. So I hope that you're encouraged and will continue to be encouraged. And I hope that you will pray for and encourage these seven. Uh, we'll hear from three more in a couple weeks, not next week, but the following. And so at this time, I'd just like to pray for these uh, candidates. So if you would stand, just the candidates, if you all would join me in praying as you're seated. I'm just going to pray the words in Philippians chapter 2. The word deacon is just server. It just means servant. And it was started in that Acts book. And it was all the different shapes it's taken in the last couple thousand years. Serving is crucial. And we learn service from Jesus. And so I'm just going to close this time before we come to the table and sing two songs and close out our time together. I want to pray these words in Philippians chapter 2 over you. So Robin, Steve, Amy, and Robert, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make our joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each one of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with our church, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And we commit you to him in this season that you would continue to serve and offer what he's called you to, that it may be multiplied in his hands. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our servant king. Amen. Let me have a seat, guys. So this evening, we're inviting us, as we do each week, to come to the table. As the band leads us in a song in this moment, we invite you to sing, to pray, and to come to the table and take into you uh, and remember the sacrifice of Jesus, our servant king.
please stand as we receive the benediction. Almighty Father, whose blessed Son before his passion prayed for his disciples that they might be one as you and he are one, grant that your church, being bound together in love and obedience to you, may be united in one body by the one Spirit, that the world may believe in him whom you have sent, your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.